I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. time surprise we're gay (laughs) (laughs) by culture we're late on everything we do yeah but we're here we're gonna we're gonna give you the lowdown about conservatorships or you are i am this is the first time that i have not done any research yeah you're just episode along for the ride i'm just hanging out And we are going to get into some nitty gritty yes. shit. So um, I just want to like preface this by saying that this is not really Britney specific. No. This is very much like deep legal background. Yes. To yeah. give some like, just kind of set the groundwork. Yeah. Get lay of the land. Yeah. I might touch on Britney for just like, you know, a sentence or two here and there just to give some context um, because I feel like we're definitely... We all are, and especially us, doing a Free Britney series, um, you know, coming at this with a Britney lens. So, you know, obviously everything kind of connects. But, um, yeah, mostly just, like, legal background. Like, how does this affect, like, other people who aren't, you know, the incomparable Britney Spears? Right. Um, Oh, and by the way, welcome to the pod. Yeah, welcome. Podcast Rejects. I'm Spencer. I'm Alaska. Yeah. And uh, this is going to be part of a series that we do randomly. Yeah. Um, obviously it's called extra credit Mm -hmm. as you can see from the title, uh, when there's stuff that doesn't really fit into our other episodes, but it's still important and still stuff we want to cover. Yes. Yeah. Um, I want to right up top, acknowledge my sources. So, um, they get the credit uh, where credit is due. Um, I looked at three main law review articles, um, for this information. The first one being from Lisa, Lisa Zaminello uh, from Texas Tech School of Law, um, their Estate Planning and Community Property Law Journal. A mouthful. Interesting. Um, that article came out this year, uh, 2021. Uh-huh. Um, and the next one being Juliana Wright from the University of Pacific Law Review, also this year, 2021. Um, and those are both from a Britney lens as well. Like they, their main story like talks about Britney, and then they go into conservatorships. And then this other article from Karen Adri- uh Andresian, mm-hmm. sorry if I said your name wrong. Andresian. Andresian. Um, at all, there's like, I think, eight more authors on this thing. It's Got a it. huge article uh, from the New York City Law Review that was written in 2015. All right. Yeah. So first off, what is a conservatorship? Um, the legal definition of a conservatorship, some states call it a guardianship, is the fiduciary relationship between a guardian and a ward or other incapacitated persons, whereby the guardian assumes the power to make decisions about the ward's person or property. Okay. So a lot in there. Yeah. Um, they it's have a, a <laughs> it's a, it's broad for a reason. Like they have a lot of powers. Um, and so the appointment of the conservator or guardian um, by a judge is basically to manage everything financial in their lives um, and sometimes additionally like the daily life of the person, um, you know, medical needs, 
you know, depending on case by case, but the bulk of it is the financial uh, affairs Mm -hmm. of that person. Um, The ward is often deemed a gravely disabled, in quotes, uh, by the court. Right, Um, because that's like a a legal term, gravely disabled is, but it's not something that... You know, it's defined in other places. Yes. But not something we would use in day-to-day activity. No, yeah. very. Uh, yeah, it's a legal definition of someone who's, like, unable to make uh, meet their basic needs, such as access to food, clothing, shelter, all that stuff. Um, and so it depends on the state. Some states view conservatorships and guardianships as the same concept. I'll kind of be using the terms interchangeably. Um, California specifically treats them as different concepts, mm-hmm. and they view conservatorships as an adult who's a conservatory, and then a minor or a child um, is a guardianship. So that's how they distinct them, but not right. every state does that. Right. Um, so this is heavily done by state law. Yes, it is. Not something we would see at the federal level. No, absolutely not. Yeah, these are very state-specific. Which is interesting to me that she lives in um, Las Vegas, but this is all California law. Yeah. And maintains it. Obviously, we'll talk about that in the next two episodes of right. Brittany, but right. it's just interesting to me. Yeah, that is a, a very interesting overlap. Um, you know, different states um, for state laws. It makes it very complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to talk about California specifically because they have the most extensive conservatorship laws that I could see anyways. I didn't do every single state. I think I focused on California and Texas in my research because those are the big ones. But uh, California is significantly bigger. Um, they have two types of conservatorships. They have the Lanterman Petrus Short, which I will be calling LPS because that's a huge name. Yeah. And then probate conservatorships. So LPS started at, uh, starts as a temporary 30-day conservatorship um, where they just, like, you know, take some time to figure things out and then can be reappointed for a year and then renewed either annually or biannually and then can be terminated, you know, at any point after the 30 days whenever necessary. Got it. Probate conservatorships typically don't have a temporary period unless there's, like, an urgent emergency or something. Um, they don't automatically expire like the LPS ones do after that uh, first 30 days. Um, they are just renewed until a court just des- like decides to terminate it and um, make it so it's no longer necessary. Okay. Um, and LPS conservatorships usually begin in um, a mental health system, um, usually referred by psychiatric hospitals, whereas probate conservatorships can come from anywhere. Anyone can bring it up being like this person needs this kind of care um, and, you know, start filing those kind of documents. Right. So that might be something more common with like the elderly. Yes. Um, Like if you have an elderly parent who Mm -hmm. can no longer take care of themselves, you might not, that wouldn't really start with like a mental health system. Exactly. Right. Yeah. You would elect to bring it to a court yourself. Yeah. So conservatorships um, were first brought about because people were concerned with people with dementia, elderly people, other those kind of like conditions that start to take a toll as you, you know, get older. Um, And um, it's a concept that was brought over to American law through English law. Okay, that's Um, pretty standard. A lot of our laws started. Exactly, yeah, pretty much standard the way it is. And it was brought over, you know, at that time, but it wasn't really looked at on any real, like, level by like the legal community until the 1960s with the disabilities um, rights movement. Okay, that Um, makes sense. Yeah, 
So um, it was pretty much the same for all of that time of history. And when it was evaluated in the 1960s, it was really, really limited, even so. Um, I mean, I know there was a lot of things going on in the law around a lot of different civil rights. <laughs> kind of a crazy time. Yeah, so I can understand that the, uh, the courts were a little backed up there. Um, but they, they did have some revisions in 1969 um, that included some evidence from psychology, which was never included before that, and added a few legal protections for disabled people, but barely anything of note, like um, things that were just like pretty consistent with like general... Um, civil rights, you know, at, um, activism at the time. Right. So did this come from the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, or was that later on? That was later on, I believe. Okay. Uh, I think, yeah. So I think this was just part of, like, this huge revision of the Uniform Probate Code that just happened to include, um, like, I think, I don't remember exactly which disabilities rights movements or anything were a part of this. But it was, it was you know, a blip on, like, Got it. Um, the kind and is of the Uniform Probate Code, is that a California law or is that federal law? Yeah, so the Uniform... Oh, that's right. I remember now. The Uniform Probate Code is actually um, kind of like a... Basically a suggestion kind of thing in the way that, like, the UCC is, like, kind of a suggestion in, like, contract law, um, which... It, so it's, like, a federal thing, but it's just basically, like, a model code set up so that states can make their own codes off of that. Um, it. So it has yeah. no precedent over state law. Yes. Yeah. It's just like a general outline being like, this is what you should probably do, but do whatever you want kind of thing. Right. They're not going to interfere. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then in 1987, the Associated Press actually did a year long study of conservatorships. And this sparked like the actual like true wave of reform for conservatorships. They um, influenced huge modern laws uh, including um, putting in the clear and convincing evidence standard of proof, which is like the major thing of conservatorships now, and the requirement that the incapacitated person must be notified that the guard guardianship proceeding um, is going to happen and that they can be present if they so choose. They didn't even have to be notified before this. <laughs> just going to happen to them? Yeah, it was just going to happen to them. Like, surprise, you've been served with a conservatorship. Yeah, like, what the fuck? Which is so insane to me. Like, that wasn't a thing that anyone thought to bring up before this. But, yeah. yeah. And um, when I use the term incapacitated person um, in this series, I am talking about the legal definition of like legally mm -hmm. incapacitated, uh, which means that a person must no longer be able to make medical, financial, or personal decisions. Um, that is a term that is used like all across like disability law. Right. Is there a definition for what a court would look for in determining that? Like how do they, because obviously them not being able to make medical or financial or personal decisions um, is kind of vague. Do they define it any further? Uh, yeah, it depends state by state. In the California probate code specifically, um, they have um, a whole long section um, on defining legal mental capacity. Mm -hmm. And um, it has you have to obviously have evidence for all these things, but you need to meet at least one of like a really long list of medical functions. Um, mental functions okay um so it's more of like a, a cumulative test rather than like a meet all these factors okay um kind of basis for that kind of definition so legal incapacity um obviously has a very long 
definition, mm-hmm. but essentially they have to show that they're, you know, un- unsound mind or they lack the capacity to make a decision or do a certain act. So this could include the capacity to contract, to make um, a conveyance. So that's like sell property, mm-hmm. um, to marry, to make medical decisions, to execute wills or to execute trusts. Um, and then there has to be evidence of a deficit and at least one mental function that they define. So I'm basically just going to go through these. Yeah, just rapid fire. <laughs> yeah, to the best of my ability because it is very long. But um, they only have to show one of these. Yeah. So that would be alertness or attention, which would include, like, consciousness, um, being able to pay attention to, like, where they are, time, you know, where they like where they are, what time it is, yeah, what's who the situation, they are. yeah, um, and then their ability to uh, attend events or you know uh, concentrate on what's going on around them. Mm-hmm. So that could be one. Uh, another one could be the ability to process information. So this could be short and long term memory, included including immediate recall of right. events. Uh, the ability to understand or communicate with others verbally or otherwise. Um, recognition of familiar objects and familiar persons, the ability to understand and appreciate quantities. <laughs> appreciate those quantities, will you? Just appreciate them. <laughs> you are not appreciating them. <laughs> <laughs> ability to reason using abstract concepts, which is very broad to me. Yeah. Um, ability to plan, organize, and carry out actions in one, one's own rational self-interest. Um, ability to reason logically. So... I guess if they didn't meet any of those, yeah, that could be used. Um, again, some of those seem so broad that it feels almost too easy to prove them. Yeah, it feels a little like that TikTok trend of like the good night to everyone except, and then you just like check off yeah. like, which ones apply to you. <laughs> those who can't reason logically, <laughs> those who can't appreciate quantities, <laughs> those who aren't familiar with objects. <laughs> I'm like, put a finger down challenge. <laughs> those who don't have long term memory, that's me. Um, Okay, so this could also be thought processes. So if they have, like, severely disorganized thinking, hallucinations, delusions, or uncontrollable, repetitive, or intrusive thoughts. So this is an overhaul of most mental illnesses. Right. Like schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, you know, DID, etc. Yeah. Um, the ability to regulate mood. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm assuming that they mean this as a more extensive thing because, again, this could cover anyone with a mental illness. Literally any of them. And they literally um, list, like, certain mental illnesses in there. Yeah, basically. They're, like, uh, deficits in the ability may be demonstrated by a presence of a pervasive and persistent or reoccurrent state of euphoria, anger, anxiety, fear, panic, depression, hopelessness, or despair helplessness, apathy, or indifference that is inappropriate in degree to the individual circumstances. I'm like, (laughs) don't we all? (laughs) I'm like, if you feel any emotion that isn't happiness. Yeah. And I don't think you should be feeling that emotion. Yeah. Because I don't think it's a big deal. Yeah. Then you're incapacitated. Jesus legally Christ. incapacitated yeah it's like so can you imagine it has the same energy of you telling me the story of like you crying at um a like dance camp you're like dance jam or something yeah and a person being like she's always crying so, you know whatever and you're like my brother tied and they're like whatever whatever <laughs> it's the same energy where it's like why are you being sad why are you being sad like how that's so dumb like, <laughs> well i hate potato wedges so, so delete, delete your, your video, video. <laughs> Um, 
Also a deficit in mental functions that like any of the ones that were just missed like listed um, that significantly impaired a person's ability to understand and appreciate the consequences of his or her actions. Okay. Um, (laughs) I understand the consequences of my own actions, but I don't appreciate them. Yeah. And in this sense, like, so whenever they are looking at the uh, deficit in mental function, so this is what I just listed of like the, you know, pervasive and persistent or reoccurring states of these like various emotions, they're basically looking at the frequency, the severity, and the duration of periods of impairment. So it means that they can use like anything from your past against you. Yep. I just want to reiterate how much this is piling up against the mentally ill. Absolutely. Like what, you know, how this one part of the probate code can really be used against most of us with mental illnesses. Absolutely. Um, it says that the mere diagnosis of a mental or physical disorder is not sufficient um, to like support a determination that person is of unsound mind or lacks the capacity to do a certain act. Um, again, it feels like when they're like, we can use anything about your mental illness to push this on you, saying that it's not just about the diagnosis doesn't really matter because yeah. at some point it's like, duh. Yeah. Because you're still going to have the doctor come in and talk about it. Yeah. Um, so it's very broad. The yeah. way to determine it, like legally incapacitated, especially with the right kind of lawyer that can make the right kind of argument mm-hmm. or the a judge that wants to do this. Yeah. Again, I'll talk about this extensively right. in our next full episode. Judges can be easily swayed by public opinion. Very and, easily. Um, this is a very low threshold to meet. Very low threshold for something that is... Um, has huge consequences on this person's life. Mm -hmm. Like you are taking away every single right that they have as a human being, basically um, on the basis of just, I don't know, the vibes were off. Exactly. So what is the process to get into a conservatorship? So it is, it is a doozy of a process. (laughs) It is a a big one. Lawyers got to get paid, I guess. Yeah. They got to get that money. Um, Like I kind of touched on (laughs) earlier, um, There are two different ways that you can start a conservatorship proceedings. Uh, The court can initiate the proceedings, which is what usually happens in LPS uh, conservatorships. Mm -hmm. Um, Or the court can be petitioned by a person, which is what happens in probate ones. Um, So the person just has to be generally interested in the potential ward's well-being to be able to bring it up. It's a very broad standing for who can bring these kinds of proceedings. Um, And... Uh, the only thing at the very first step is that the courts have to consider medical history. That's like very, very broad. Right. So they would bring in like professionals, mm-hmm, experts. Mm-hmm. And this is at the point to where they would determine legal uh, incapacity, legal mental capacity. Yes, that's the term. <laughs> <laughs> that's a tough one. It's a tough one. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, and so once that it's determined, um, it basically just establishes that person as a conservatory like that's it. Like, you know, um, they need a guardian. Um, and then from that point, the court um, has hearings to make decisions like what type of protections are needed, how much of those protections to place for how long, mm-hmm. limited or unlimited. And then after that, who is the conservator? So they, uh, they establish like basically how the plan is going to go first before they even consider who's going to be in charge of this plan. Right. Um, and... So, and they have a lot of factors to consider of, like, who can be a conservator. 
Um, the Uniform Probate Code has a list in um, order of priority. Um, again, the Uniform Probate Code is not binding. It's just a recommendation. But this is generally what states follow for the order of priority for someone who can be a conservator. So the first being um, an already established guardian or temporary emergency guardian that's already acting for this person mm-hmm. in this state or elsewhere. Right. So they don't want to switch it if they don't have to. Exactly. Got yeah. It. Um, a person that is nominated by the potential conservatory um, either, um, you know, before they started having these problems, you know, with the discussion of their um, with their attorney who has like the power of attorney to make decisions for them or nominated even by a will um, or other signed writing by a deceased spouse of that person. Right. OK, so that could be, you know, like if you know that you have you know, Alzheimer's, you know that you're going to have dementia, mm-hmm. you, you could put someone as the power of attorney before you get to that point. Exactly. Which is a responsible thing to do if you know that. Like, a lot yeah. of people will do that with their kids, mm-hmm. you know, adult children. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, especially with, like, you know, genetic diseases like that where you can kind of know ahead of time that it right. might happen, so you're already set up in case it does. Mm-hmm. So you're not trying to, you know, fiddle around once it's already going right. on. Right, and then, you know, make it harder on everybody. Exactly. Um, The spouse of um, the potential ward um, or uh, an individual nominated also by that spouse in a will or signed writing. Um, The adult child of the potential ward um, is actually above the parent of the potential ward. That actually makes a lot of sense. It does make a lot of sense. Especially when we're looking at like specifically California law, like if we were looking at that where they might have a lot of, you know, a lot of their law could be related to, like, stage parents yes. and stuff. So I can kind of understand that if an adult child brings it about their parent, yeah, it holds more meaning than a parent bringing it about their child. Exactly, yeah. No, I think that this um, that placement is very good. It was just, like, very interesting that yeah. it was so low. Like, it's not something you would expect right away, but it right. makes sense. It makes a lot of sense, it. exactly. And the last being an adult with whom the potential ward has resided with uh, for more than six months before the filing of the petition. <gasps> oh, my God. I could be your conservator. <laughs> oh, my God. Conservator buddies. <laughs> That's so fun. Okay. So once a conservatorship is established, um, there are certain duties of the conservator. The main goal being that the conservator is supposed to act at all times in the best interest and exercise reasonable care, diligence, and prudence. Okay. That's just like the basic broad strokes. Right. So this means that if they are not acting with reasonable care, then they, they can be removed as conservator. Exactly. Essentially. Yeah. Um. And the conservators are meant to encourage the development of maximum self-reliance and independence of the incapacitated person. Um, And they're only supposed to be making orders or appointative decisions um, to the extent uh, necessitated by the incapacitated person's, you know, mental and adaptive limitations. So everything that, yeah, it's um, like the main part of um, their law and like in their... um, definitions of their duties that it's every decision is supposed to be how can we make it so the ward has the most decision-making power as possible how can I make sure that they're really in charge of their life and I'm just here as kind of like a security blanket which is interesting because that is not how it plays out in real life of course yeah and they're supposed to include the ward's opinions and desires in all of their decision-making processes (laughs) crazy I know um for such a um 
limited and I feel like supportive like role like you know the definition of the role being something like this the conservator actually has a lot of powers um and so unless it's explicitly limited by a court in the particular proceeding a conservator can apply for and receive money payable to the ward um it's supposed to be for the support of the ward um but they can basically do anything um you know get insurance benefits do any private contracts make a trust get rid of a trust everything they can do anything they want basically with the ward's money mm-hmm. um they can take custody of the ward and establish the ward's place of custodial dwelling and it's they're only supposed to uh, move or establish the ward's place of dwelling outside of the state upon uh, express authorization of the court. That makes sense. Um, they can consent to all medical care, treatments, or services for the ward. They can consent to marriages or divorces. Um, Yikes. Yeah. And they can um, delegate uh, to the ward specific responsibilities, um, you know, basically decide what they can and can't choose for themselves Mm -hmm. yeah so they have an insane amount of power that obviously can be very easily abused um, right which it makes a lot of sense to me that they're they would have a lot of power because they have a lot more wherewithal to further these laws in their own interest absolutely than a conservative might Mm -hmm. um or does yeah in any real way because they have no power to make decisions and they never have never have um every evolution we've seen of the law is to give them more wherewithal more power over their own lives Mm -hmm. and even that has done next to nothing yeah yeah babe yeah um, and so that's just all once it's um, been decided there's going to be a conservatorship. Now we get into the monitoring and oversight of the conservatorship that's been placed. So um, within 30 days of the conservator being appointed, they have to submit another full report to the court containing uh, information about the ward's condition, their accounts and money and assets have to all be documented Mm -hmm. with details and outlining which ones and which parts of all of these um, assets the guardian will have possession or control over. Right. Um, And uh, the it will include obviously like medical records uh, of their mental and physical social conditions, living arrangements, all the addresses um, or places that the ward uh, um, has, educational, vocational, and other services that will be provided to the ward. Um, and it says it's specifically in the guardian's opinion as to the adequacy of the ward's care, which is insane. It's just whatever they feel like the ward needs. A summary of the guardian's visit with the ward and if the ward is to be institutionalized, whether the guardian considers um, the current plan for treatment and care rehabilitation to be in the ward's best interests, plans for future care, and recommendations as to how far this needs to continue if there's any changes that need to be made in the scope of the guardianship. After that 30 days, in California specifically, courts must review the conservatorship Um, after six months, um, after a year, and then from there they can decide if they need to be reviewed annually or biannually. Mm -hmm. 
Um, reviews can also be brought at any time by any interested party, um, which is usually a next of kin or a person deemed by the court to be at close to the conservatory, which is pretty broad. It seems the same as the like interested party of people who can bring up uh, the proceedings in the first place. It's like the right. same kind of definition. Which is kind of interesting that they, you know, specifically get them standing to bring reviews. Yeah. Um... And so the courts can also appoint a person to uh, review this report or and like also be in charge of like a specific conservatorship case. So they're like always doing the reviews like every year, every two years, whenever it's decided. Right. Um, And they can also make investigatory um, efforts if they want to. The person appointed by the court can make investigatory reports. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes. So this uh, person appointed can investigate whether less restrictive alternatives are possible um, and can bring that up. Um, less of restrictive alternatives to a conservatorship. Yes. Um, and report that to the court and then start a, re- a separate review process if they. That's uh, interesting. Need to. Um, mm-hmm. That that's because that seems like it's a very like low standard, mm-hmm. really. Um, and it's interesting that conservatorships legally are supposed to be least restrictive. Yes. And not supposed to be putting that much of a burden mm-hmm. on the conservatee. Yeah. And we don't really see that uh, playing out in any real way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And these are um, the more detailed changes that the Associated Press um, influenced with their huge story in conservatorships. I talked about the big ones earlier, but these are like the the nitty gritty details of like making sure that it, there's a lot of avenues um, to bring up um, either termination or um, modification proceedings. Right. So for terminating a conservatorship, it only occurs when the conservatee dies or by court order. What do they die? It's like, duh. <laughs> duh. So the ward themselves, the uh, guardian or any other interested party can petition the court to either terminate the guardianship, but more often is the case a modification of the conservatorship. Right, because that's a lower standard, Mm -hmm. so it's easier to prove. Exactly. It is also the duty of the guardian um, at any time during the conservatorship to report to the court if the ward's condition significantly changes. Um, So, you know, instead of just waiting around for an interested party to notice or for the ward themselves to be like, hey, I'm getting better or whatever, um, it's uh, the guardian's duty to be like, they're actually changing. They're, you know, getting better. They have um, uh, a better environment and, you know, capacity to take care of themselves. We should, you know, scale things back. Um, And it can actually, um, I didn't write this in my notes, but it can actually go against the guardian in modification proceedings if it shows that they had knowledge of this and didn't say anything and could potentially change guardians Mm -hmm. if it's like an egregious example. Okay. Um, And so modification even um, is still nearly impossible as it stands now. Um, And it's even more common than terminating. So obviously (laughs) terminating is not easy. I actually remember in one of the most, uh, the framing Britney Spears documentary where they interviewed a lawyer who specializes in conservatorships and they asked her if she knew of anyone that had successfully removed a conservatorship. And she said no. No, exactly. Yeah. Um, So that's, basically impossible and challenging one is also nearly impossible 
Um, I forgot to mention this earlier in our broad overview, but um, just to get a scale of how many people, um, there are nearly 2 million Americans who are currently in some sort of conservatorship or guardianship as of uh, 2020, I believe Mm -hmm. the report says. Wow. Um, So a lot of people um, are in this kind of situation. Um, And challenging it um, depends a lot on the basis or the illnesses that the conservatee is documented to have. So things like a stroke or other um, illnesses that have a more documented history of uh, recovery or cure um, are a lot easier to modify um, because, you know, you have that kind of medical backing to be like, yes, most people recover from these things, you know, blah, 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 and have a lot of uh, things to compare it to of like, this person is getting better. Whereas things like Alzheimer's, dementia, um, have specifically like, you know, declining as you go along, um, kind of illnesses or like autism, which are pretty consistent throughout a person's life that don't really um, get better per se. I'm saying that in heavy quotes. Yeah. Um, because I don't believe you can get better from right, autism. Right. It's not a disease yes. in the same way that like dementia would actually destroys your brain. Exactly. Right. Um, you know, those kinds of things are a lot harder to challenge and refute uh, because, you know, there's a lot of medical history uh, backing up that they don't really change or get worse, you know, as things go on. Um, So if you can establish that from the beginning as like a potential guardian, you have a lot higher chance of being able to keep that person in the situation Mm -hmm. that they are. Which we will talk about in detail in our next fucking episode. Yes. And the law of challenging conservatorships has a huge emphasis on curing the illness specifically, not just like giving person like the person the tools and the abilities to live with their illnesses and like you know um you know give them the proper support to be able to take care of themselves it's all about either you have this illness and you need to keep in this conservatorship or you need to be cured of it or recovered from it and then you can get out Mm -hmm. Um, this almost feels like a a violation of like the 14th amendment yep like it feels like these a lot of these could have strong, like, constitutional arguments against them. Yes. Um, yeah. It's kind of frustrating to hear about. It's really frustrating. Um, so, and there's also a side note. Uh, the um, Andresdian article, the New York City um, Law Review article, I know that the authors probably didn't mean it this way, but I don't think they did a good enough job of clarifying that it's not their position, but kind of like the courts and like the law's position of doing this but they reference some research that is like pretty sketchy um saying that autism um is proving to be something that can be cured Uh which is not great um um, let me just pull up i highlighted a particularly scary section um This is a a quote from this article. For example, no longer is a diagnosis of autism or a condition on the autism spectrum an indication of a permanent unchanging disability. Persons with autism may significantly improve their functioning or even be recovered or cured. Um, Which is, (laughs) oh, not the greatest way of saying that. Um, So 
I, yeah, it's not a great thing, I think, if your argument for challenging conservatorships or, like, changing and reforming this kind of law is eugenics. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, mm, I don't think that's the argument that we want to make. Yeah, that's not. Yeah, it's not a, it's not a fun time uh, making this kind of argument. I don't know. I, I was not. I guess it is from 2015. The conversation yeah. around autism, I feel like, did not become mainstream until a couple years ago, really. Right, right. When yeah. people started to turn on Autism Speaks and yes, uh, reflect on the fact that people not wanting to get uh, vaccines because they cause autism is mm-hmm. ableism and eugenics and Nazi shit. Yes, it is. It very much is. Yeah, so I think, like, a huge step forward in reform for this kind of law would be to refocus away from curing illnesses to supporting people and giving them the, like, tools and, right. you know, And it seems like there needs to need. be more, a more, um, a bolder line between illnesses that specifically affect people in, like, old age and declining health mm-hmm. versus, like, a person in a normal adult age um living their life yeah and it also seems like there needs to be more things in their probate code um that you can prove against it yes so things that they could bring that would be like this shows that they can do this for Mm -hmm. instance working the entire time that you're in a conservatorship yep yep absolutely yeah so a lot of states kind of follow the uh you know, conservatorship and guardianship thing is, like, one big concept, which is already, like, not great and, like, definitely should have a dividing line. And then Definitely for wards and children. Yes. Yeah. And I think, you know, the California one, yeah, completely separating the two of, like, adults versus minors is a good step. But I think there should be, like, a third, yeah, distinction between just, like, you know... Um, I don't want to say middle-aged adults, but just, like, that huge group of adults, you know, from 18 to, I don't know... 50, 60 something, and like, you know, actually like declining like elderly people. Like, I feel like that's a totally right. different like and once distinct someone thing. reaches a point where they're like, you know, just going to continue to get sicker. Yeah. Um, and like, that should be a totally age, different yeah. standard than, yeah. you know, um, an adult with like a huge portion of their lives ahead of them. Um, so not to end on a complete downer, but, uh, conservatorships <laughs> are downers. Like there's nothing you can really do about it. Um, they're, they're rough from beginning to end from sure. broad strokes to nitty gritty details. They suck. Um, so that's my thesis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So is that it? That's Did all I've it? got on the information on this thing. All right. So that is a, you know, really a broad overview. I'm sure there's a lot of case law and hopefully we're going to see some changes. I know they've already introduced some federal regulation and some, some new information, which Brittany has largely brought to the surface. Yeah. We will talk about that either in our last episode of free Brittany or in an additional extra credit episode about conservatorships as a whole and where we go from here and what free Brittany really means for us as a society, because it's something that we haven't looked at for a long time. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, uh, disabilities and mental illness are coming to the forefront of everyone's mind with the pandemic and a lot of these things that have just, I I feel like brought it into the collective unconscious. So, um, we'll, we'll really get back into it, but, uh, hopefully our episode on free Britney will be up tomorrow at the latest. Yes. And hopefully, you know, this gave you a, 
a good broad understanding of what mm-hmm. these even are so that when we get into you know Britney specific details you're not like left in the lurch <laughs> yes because um and I'll try and you know in the research that I'm doing I'm trying to reference as much of these laws as I can but I think having a good groundwork for what these even are is yeah. very important because we're gonna start moving a lot faster yeah come our next episode and so. especially with Britney's being particularly messy I feel like it's good to just get the like what even is this first so that we can really you know yeah. watch all the rules be broken exactly <laughs> yeah and watch them be not even broken but fully adhered to yeah um in a compliance that is fully insidious yes as you know the legal field always does oh uh, so fun so much fun all right, guys. So we'll see you tomorrow, probably. Probably. Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully. Fingers we'll crossed. definitely see you tomorrow for armchair bimbos. Yes, we will. Um, come listen to us talk about some silly, goofy news. Absolutely. So much fun. Yes. <laughs> Bye. Bye. The Podcast Rejects is a Gamer Frauds Network production. Find us on Instagram at The Podcast Rejects. For early access to all Gamer Frauds Network content and a ton of exclusive perks, join our Patreon at patreon.com slash gamerfrauds.